0: Well, let's do it. Gary, hit the music.
1: Live from San Francisco and here on Clubhouse, it's the Good Time Show, bringing
2: you today in technology. And now your hosts, Artie and Free Woohoo.
3: Woohoo! right. Yeah, hey folks, welcome. Uh, welcome to tonight's episode of Good Time. Uh, this is, uh, I'm arti and uh, Sriram and I co-host the show and we've been doing this for the last couple of months. I think we should stop saying last month. It's been a, it's been a couple months since December and uh, we've been having so much fun doing this. It's about an hour. We try and do this uh, pretty much every weeknight and uh, we learn so much and we get guests, uh, just spectacular guests who are like really kind and generous with their time to come in and talk about all things tech, culture, Movies, TV shows, just stuff that's like happening and all the positive stories and tech and products. Um, and, uh, you know, this today we are doing it's, it's a little past 6 p.m. Uh, where we are in San Francisco. Uh, we wanted to do an East Coast friendly show. Thanks to our guest tonight. So thanks so much for uh, changing around your schedule. I think we got people from like, you know, somewhere in Europe, in New Zealand, just people waking up at like really odd hours. Thanks for making it all happen and just being here. Um, we really, really appreciate it. We well, Shreya and I, we have a two-year-old kid, so we try and work around the schedule. This is kind of something we do as a hobby. But welcome everyone. If you're first time, you're coming to the show. Welcome to Good Time, Shreeram?
0: Awesome. Uh, thanks so much, Arty. Okay, we have some really amazing guests today. So let me kind of get them all. Uh, first up, you know, we have uh, Gary Tan. Uh, you know, uh, music uh, responsible for all the music on the show, and uh, you know, VC uh, at Initialized Capital, um, and also YouTube content creator. So go check him out. Uh, smash all the buttons on his YouTube channel. Um, we also have coming back uh, two of my favorite people on YouTube uh, in Colin and Samir uh you know the, uh, you know i would say you know i found you know i met them a few months ago and this has been so inspiring to me and how warm and generous they are both in person personally but also with their content and just helping people think about the creator economy so if you haven't checked them out go check out their youtube content that podcast they're some of the two the smartest nicest people that you'll see online so Colin samir thank you so much for coming back on the show
2: Man, thank you. Your introductions are
0: always uh, so great. I know my dad's listening, and he loves your introductions. Right. So thank Too you, Sri Ram. Yeah. <laughs> well, if your dad is listening, just be sure that your son has achieved more than any other Asian kid would ever have. So, uh, <laughs> so you be proud you. Uh, I can Appreciate keep going, that. but I want to impress somebody anymore. Um, okay, we also have coming back somebody really special, uh, the founder and CEO of a little-known company called Coinbase, uh, Brian Armstrong. Brian, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for having me. I got it. There we go. (laughs) Uh, uh, And uh, last but definitely not least, uh, you know, uh, this is someone someone that uh, I've looked up to for many, many years. uh, um, And we are very, very lucky to have with us today uh, uh, Marcus Brownlee. But as everybody probably knows him, MKBHD, uh, you know, I can give you some stats. Uh, he has over 13.6 million subscribers on YouTube, over 700 million views uh, last year. He has been uploading videos. I went to first ever videos since about 2009, uh, which, you know, I think like a 17 inch HP Pavilion laptop. Uh, he has uh, interviewed actually a couple of folks we have had on the show uh, in Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg and a bunch of others made for Forbes 30 under 30. But I don't think any of that captures the impact uh, Marcus has. Uh, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that he's by far one of the most influential thoughtful technology commentators and reviewers that you'll ever find. Um, I watch all of his videos and uh, he, he's just an amazing, amazing uh, content creator and technology spokesperson. So Marcus, thank you so much for coming on the show. Wow.
1: You were right about the intros. That was incredible. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Long time listener, first time caller. Looking forward to
0: oh. it. I really enjoy a lot of the conversations that I've heard on in the show so far. So looking forward to it awesome so okay so we have a lot to cover with marcus and we also kind of brian on in the second part of the show uh you know we're going to talk about uh, have marcus and brian talk uh, crypto as well but first off uh, marcus i think you know a lot of people here know you but some people are really new to you and i think your story of how we got into youtube i refer to you know you uh having you know uploaded videos for a very very long time could you just talk about how we got into uh, you know youtube content creation as a teenager and just your journey so far
1: yeah, sure. I'll give like a like abbreviated version. So I started in 2009 in high school and a uh, high school kid looking for a laptop to spend his uh, allowance money on. So I wanted to do all the research I possibly could because there's no way I've spent all this money and don't get the best thing. So I mm-hmm. watched a ton of YouTube videos, basically, um, all these reviews, all these laptops that were out at the time, finally got one and ended up buying it. And when I got it, I noticed some things about it that I actually didn't see in the videos I'd watching, I thought I'd, I thought I knew everything. So I th- that point was like, I sort of felt natural to turn the camera on myself and make a video showing some of those things that I'd found. So if someone else is watching a bunch of videos trying to pick a laptop, they would have even more information that I didn't have. They can make a better choice. So that, that was the first video. That's how it started basically with the tech stuff. And it's been uh, pretty much snowballing ever since.
0: By the way, I would say that massively undersells the, the 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 amount of work that you have done over there, Marcus. Um, uh, so it, so it, one thing I want to get to is, uh, you know, like, could you just walk us through? Because I think we all see the finished product that you have out there. Um, could you just walk us through just your process like when you get like a new gadget for example i just saw your uh, you know uh, adports max uh, you know which we just got i've seen a test could you just walk us through your process about putting together one of those videos and what that looks like behind the scenes
1: yeah okay so the, the videos obviously started off super simple just like turning on the laptop recording with the webcam hitting stop and then i'd upload that file like that was it um, so today the, the videos are very different. They're much more well-produced and, and well-made just in an effort to make them more enjoyable to watch. So it's a whole production, basically. Uh, I, I think calling a, calling a YouTuber or a video producer would probably be pretty accurate. So for a review, for something like a smartphone review, which is probably the bread and butter of the channel, that is uh, a whole process, first of all, pre-production, which is <laughs> we, we forget the device, we review it. I look through it, find out all the things I like about it, all the things I don't like about it, put it all together. But then it sort of turns into this, this production process where my team and I sort of try to capture on video all of the things that I noticed, all of the things that I want to include in the review. Sort of standard. <laughs> I have a script that I share with everyone so we all know what to get video of. And, uh, you know, that's that's probably the most fun part of the process because we like to have fun with it. We get, get carried away with, like, really you know, extra shots, robot shots, all sort of fun stuff like that. And, but at, at the end of the day, we try to cover the whole thing. And then I just go back and edit it all and turn it into something that I hope people would want to watch. Uh, that's that's actually at this point, maybe the most efficient part of the process.
0: Now, you know, I did a bunch of prep for this uh, in a conversation and, you know, I, I was going through some of your interviews and videos and something you said in your recent Verge interview stuck with me which is, I think you were kind of surprised by how many people are actually interested in technology. And I guess this may be kind of like a simple question, which may have a complex answer. Why do you think your content resonates so broadly? Because, you know, in some ways, you know, I feel like you've also been taken by surprise by how many people just kind of just resonates with and just watching you review these gadgets. So what do you think about your content and what you do, you know, just pulls in so many fans?
1: Yeah. You know, when I started tech, tech videos, wasn't that big of a genre on YouTube. So I guess part of it comes from just the fact that there's more people watching videos online. And obviously some subset of them are interested in tech. So that's awesome. But yeah, it's just, it's wild that like, you know, a smartphone comes out, maybe a pretty niche product gets released. I'll make a video talking about what it is. And by the end of the day, 3 million people have watched it. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense based on <laughs> what I started with, which was, you know, the, the early days of YouTube in 2009. So it's, it does always kind of surprise me, but uh, I think the fact that we have so much fun with it and that we're making stuff we want to watch just means there's other people out there with uh, kind of the same taste. So that's pretty sweet.
4: I wanted to ask about um, sort of the level of quality that you've really brought to the videos over the years. And mm-hmm. you know, now you have a motion graphics artist, you have a cinematographer, and I've heard you say that, you know, that your team might end up spending something like even eight hours of, you know, sort of creative work on something as as little as even like the first seven seconds of intros and things like that. And uh, I just wanted to like ask about, you know, has that evolved? Is it still sort of that level of detail and focus? And, you know, I, I think hats off because it really does come out in the videos that there is that sort of craftsmanship
1: yeah definitely so this is this is one of the things that's been really interesting about the tech youtube world for the past couple of years is like the, the production value of everything i've seen has skyrocketed so if you if you tried to upload like the first few videos that i uploaded back in the day they wouldn't get nearly the same response because the the bar for like how good everyone has gotten with video has gone up so much um we've been a big part of that and i'm really proud of that but i think the cherry on top is we try to do things that are sort of next level, like really hard to replicate things that take a lot of time, but things that are like worth it in the end when you see the final result. Uh, And so that might be, yeah, that might be spending like seven hours on like a robot shot with some motion graphics and just a crazy intro that like really captivates the whole point of the video. It's totally unnecessary, but (laughs) (laughs) as a, as a video nerd, it's like, because we have the resources and because it's that fun and, and fun to watch
4: we we find it's actually worth it oh we notice we know I mean mm-hmm. especially the camera nerds uh, you know on here yeah. we, we notice it's really appreciated
3: yeah Gary and I were just chatting about it on like you know you, how you 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 were the ones who like I think uh, Marcus you pioneered like using some really high-end cameras like red cameras and stuff like that which is like it's not a thing it's not what like normal like YouTube, you know, reviewers actually started using, you kind of started that whole thing. And I guess one one thing I wanted to ask you is like, you know, back when you started investing in some really high-end gear, like camera gear, did you know know at that point, like there was going to be payoff? And now in retrospect, do you feel like there is that payoff of like having really high-end gear? Because I'm sure at that time it was a huge investment. It's not easy to make that decision. How do you feel about that in retrospect?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So I I I got asked in another sort of interview setting, like, how do you think about the cost that you spend on a video versus how much you make outputting videos? And the fact is I don't really think in individual projects that way, where like if we buy a camera, then I have to like make a certain number of videos to make it worth it. Um, the The camera stuff is like, it's a little more intangible at a high level because like, okay, you guys are, you you know you're very perceptive and you pick up on the difference between like 17 stops of dynamic range from a red camera and 13 but like you can make a tech video amazing with way less equipment i think at the the very highest level that we try to output it's uh it's more of just like the the final 1% that when you do notice you do really appreciate that's like it's hard to put into like a dollar value of like we spent this much on the camera and it will be worth it after x videos uh, yeah, we we just never really thought about it that way. It's more of just like the the intangibles, which maybe that's a bad answer for the business people. But no, that's great. That's I mean, you think, it. It.
3: you think about it that way because not a lot of people do. I think a lot of people look at it as like, you know, it's like a transactional value thing. And not to be cynical about it, but I think you know a lot of people look at it as ROI and like tactical ROI. And it's it's amazing that you don't see it that way,
5: Marquez. Something I'd love to touch on is something you and I spoke about earlier today, which is you know, your journey has been so long on YouTube and your rise has been really steady, but really significant. And like in the beginning, you're creating at a time when there aren't even that many other options for video on the internet. So you're uploading tons of videos, taking tons of shots on YouTube, but now you're at a point where your YouTube videos are very specific and they're reaching millions. Do you feel like there is more weight Every time you press publish. Like the like the publish button is a little bit heavier now, knowing your responsibility
1: and just your your reach. Yeah, and I, I think that comes from the response that we we kind of get to videos, where like originally the response to a a pretty classic like tutorial on that HP laptop was like, oh neat, I learned about some software. But the the response sometimes to a bigger video let's say it's a review or maybe it's even something that's like a, it has a lot of negative points in a review. A lot of times you're, you're already anticipating what the response will be before you even publish it. So there'll be a review where you're, you're, you already know there's like a bunch of bad things about this product. And hopefully there's, you know, hopefully I didn't miss anything. Hopefully the stuff I'm noticing isn't a bug and everyone else's is fine. Like you, you start to think more about that sort of stuff and making sure you get it right. But I think that's an appropriate pressure. I think that with great power comes great responsibility. So makes sense.
2: And I think, uh, Marquez, on that same note, you know, again, something that we kind of touched on a bit earlier today was uh, with that pressure um, and that responsibility, one thing that you've done really successfully is actually bring the YouTube creator ecosystem into the mainstream limelight by bringing more mainstream celebrities uh, onto YouTube, specifically onto your channel. Um, obviously I think, you know, interviewing Kobe Bryant is such a big moment, mm-hmm. uh, not only for you, but for the, the YouTube creator ecosystem, Elon Musk, uh, president Obama, I'm just curious how you look at some of these interviews and specifically maybe the story about, uh, interviewing Kobe Bryant and what that was like.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I love that. I feel like the, the rising tide lifts all ships. I feel like that's, that's been true for a long time. So people, people open doors for me and I'm happy to hopefully continue to, to, to rise the tide and open doors for others. Um, the Kobe interview story is so funny cause like that's literally uh, as a child, <laughs> the second interview I ever did on camera, the first one was uh, was a virtual interview. So I was, that's like the most nervous I've ever been in my life, which is like, <laughs> like Nike reaches out to a 16 to a year old and says, hey, you know, this guy, Kobe Bryant, he was doing this, uh, this farewell tour right now. You might've heard of him. He's dropping a new shoe. He had a big hand in making it. There's all all sorts of tech in the shoe. He wants to talk about it. Do you want to talk to him about it and make a video? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So uh, I'm not necessarily thinking in the moment like, okay, this is going to be great for YouTube and and people are going to have way more doors open for them in the future. Um, But, you know, when we hit publish and we see that we did a good job with it, I think that that is a pretty sweet byproduct is there's going to be more of that stuff happening.
0: Um, you know, so one of the things I think about uh you is you know, I think of people like Walt Mossberg or previous uh, you know, folks who have been like really legend like, in the tech reviewing scene. So over the years, I would say, you know, you went from like somebody on YouTube to you now, probably one of the most influential voices when it comes to reviewing technology products. And my career and Artie's career has often been the other side. We've often been the people making products, if not hardware, definitely software. How do you think of the evolution of your relationship with these companies? Do they ask you for feedback? Are they a frenemy? Do you give them input? Are they afraid of you? How do you see that evolution in your relationship with, you know, Apple or Tesla or anybody else for that matter?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I think I think it's a healthy respect. Now the thing about if you're in if you're in YouTube for long enough in like the product review scene, I'm sure if you ask like a makeup YouTuber or any sort of product reviewer, they'd find the same thing. Um, there is always some level of marketing happening no matter who you speak to or when you speak to them uh, when it comes to a product (laughs) so everyone's trying to be honest about a new product when it comes out and I love that Um, but we obviously have a a tendency to be brutally honest that's the whole point of the channel so if they're looking me in the eyes and trying to spin a negative as a positive it's, it's kind of like we're looking at each other and I know you're saying that you think it's the best option, but I think we both know that there's things you could have done better here. Uh, something that comes to mind, I'm giving a super specific example, but when I asked about Samsung's new $1,000 Note 10 or Note mm-hmm. 20 and why it was made of plastic and they called it glass because it kind of seems <laughs> like glass, like I'm mm-hmm. looking at the guy and he's, he's telling me this. And I think you kind of see like a, a look in his eye where he's like, yeah, I know I'm telling you this and I already know that you know that this is kind of dumb, but I think I think that relationship is like very common in the tech ro- in the tech world where you're you're trying to you're trying to see through the fog all the time and obviously it's their job to promote the product as best as they can but it's my job to uh to share the the real experience with people so that's what I try to do yeah.
3: that that's great I mean I think at some point you called yourself a professional user and uh, you know that it it just makes a lot of sense because oftentimes like you said we you know I build products and tri- until recently was like tech companies just building products. And this is kind of our life, right? Like we get so caught up in the details of like how we build stuff in teams and everything that we don't look at it all, you know, pretty much like how you see it, which is like totally fresh pair of eyes as like an external user. So that's really interesting. Um, I think uh, one question I wanted to ask you, this is like slightly separate. Um, you know, what, I, I love your videos on retro tech um and uh, especially you know i'm sure like one of the most watched ones is the game boy one i'm sure you get asked about that all the time uh you know i would love to understand the inspiration behind it like it's just such a cool idea it's really fun the game boy one particularly i, I find it really funny because you know you start out with like this thing came out in like 1989 and you know i wouldn't really know about it i wasn't a user and we were like yeah no shit like we get that <laughs> and uh, you kind of like go from there into like you know, getting Casey and just going, like, having a lot of fun with it. So talk to us about, like, the inspiration behind retro RetroTech, that sort of videos in general, uh, and also, like, if you can go into specifics of any of these or, like, the Game Boy one specifically on, like, behind the scenes there or how you made it happen.
1: Yeah, RetroTech's a good one. It's a, It was a lot of good things coming together in the same place. Um, I happen to be 27, so I'm, like, right in this age where there's a bunch of pretty iconic pieces of tech that I barely missed. Like, I never owned a GameCube. But By the way, just people... thank you
0: for making us all feel really ancient right there. <laughs> just thank <laughs> you so much for that.
1: But, like, it, it mattered a lot because there's a lot of people in different ages in my audience, too, where they are way more familiar with these pieces of tech. So I'm always talking about this new stuff, new, 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 all the newest pieces of tech. And the the thought came up of, like, there's there's, like, a whole list of things that, I could sort of review now and review their impact on tech as we have it today mm-hmm. uh, and sort of rediscover that stuff. So, yeah, we, we had a bunch of YouTubers appear on the show, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and I got to sort of rediscover that that nostalgic bit of tech. And I think people who are older who did use that tech found it in a totally different light, where it was like, oh, I, I, I played with this. I, I knew it like the back of my hand. So it's is it a different lens to view it through. But I think both versions of watching that show would be really
3: fun. Yeah. I love that you tried to open the whole box and you were like, how, what, how do I do that? And, and there was like a small, like push or something written there and you were like, man, okay. I feel like they've really improved the packaging technology since that (laughs) years ago to now.
2: Boxes have gotten a lot better since, since the, since the late (laughs) eighties. Yep. So you, you uh, Marquez, like on this, on this topic of you being like a professional user and, and someone who's like very into um, tech obviously plays out in, in the videos and it's why you've built such a big community. But another thing that you are is a professional YouTube creator. And that's not something that was actually you know, available when you first started uploading videos. So just to shift focus in, into that direction, you're pretty transparent with how the business of YouTube works, uh, especially your business between you know AdSense uh, brand deals, merchandise, uh, some of the different, uh, you know, diverse revenue streams that you have. But what do you think goes into being a professional YouTube creator? Like, what what are the components that make up a professional YouTube creator? I'm sure there's a lot of people in the audience who are interested in becoming that. Um, so just curious. You you, you mentioned uh, you have this great analogy about an octopus. So I'll I'll just leave it there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So. So there's a bunch of, first of all, it's always funny when you ask like a kid in maybe, I don't know, sixth grade or something today, like what do you wanna do when you grow up? And so many of them say YouTuber today that, that literally didn't exist 10 years ago, which is hilarious. Um, so today, so if you wanna be a YouTuber, so let's say you're in sixth grade or, or whatever grade and you wanna be a YouTuber you You end up having maybe like six or seven different individual jobs that you have to train yourself in and become good at at the same time. so i I describe myself as an octopus, like you have these eight arms doing eight different things. One of those arms is writing video ideas. One of those arms is being a camera operator. One of those arms is being a professional video editor. One of those arms, is being a content strategist and figuring out how to use social media in different ways to grow your brand one of them is literally just in charge of the inbox one of them is a financial accountant who talks to the tax the tax man like there's a lot going on when you're a, when you're a professional youtuber it's a small title that includes a bunch of different stuff um, I could go way more into the octopus thing but it depends on how much time we have <laughs>
0: uh, uh, uh we have a bunch of time actually but you know actually one of the things uh, uh, you know which kind of related to that by the way marcus i love your joke in one of your interviews about this is probably the most common question you get around the, you know the holiday dinner table or any dinner table which is like you know how do i make money of youtube um, do you remember like was there a video or was there a moment where you were like okay you know what this is going to be my thing this is going to be my career because in some ways i feel like a lot of people like you know um maybe don't realize how long you've been doing this and this is like not an overnight success. So like, did you ever have a moment where be like, okay, you know what, this is, you know, going to be, you know, what I'm going to do and uh, nothing else.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I wish I could point to like one moment where I went, Oh, I uploaded this video and then I knew, uh, but it's not really as romantic as that. I think really, if you picture a gradient of like, I don't know, just imagine a band that's blue on one side and red on the other side and it's just a sort of a clean gradient from blue to red. At some point in there, it's not blue anymore and it's it's red, but it's kind of unclear where that point is. And that's kind of how it feels going from doing it as a hobby to doing it as a job. Uh, I think the obvious answer is when I graduated from college, then like I, I needed a job and it was just where I would pour all my time and reinvest. Um, but I think, yeah, at some point during college, it was like when a professor asks you why you haven't dropped out yet and then why classmates are like wondering why all of your projects are something to do with YouTube, but you never tell anyone about it. It's
2: kind of, it just sort of happens <laughs> slowly.
1: So that's uh, that's how I look at it.
2: Mark has other questions. I mentioned that my dad is in the audience and my dad is someone I've tried to explain the business of YouTube um, to a few times and I'm not very successful at it. So I, I was curious if there are people listening who don't fully
0: 100% understand how the business of YouTube works, how do you explain it? Hold on, before you answer that, Marcus, uh, Samir's dad, <laughs> just know that Samir and has been inspiring millions of us, and you know, um, and you know, he's been such a huge impact on my channel, um, and you should be really proud of him, and uh, <laughs> he just really made it in yeah. a way that none of them oh, I them appreciate much. that. Okay. Thank Marcus, you, Marcus. You can go on. Yeah,
2: <laughs> so good.
1: Um, okay, so yeah, YouTube is. It's a platform. It's. I mean, I don't know if I could just. Exp- I'm just going to give you like the fundamentals of it. But basically, when YouTube sells ads, they split it with the the people who uploaded the content. Like it's that simple. Uh, the more eyeballs and the more specific eyeballs you bring to YouTube, uh, the more revenue you generate for YouTube, and therefore the more they split it with you. And there's a trillion other nuances to that that are you know CPM related and content related and audience funnel related and all that fun stuff. But at the end of the day, YouTube yeah. wants people on their platform.
2: And even outside of you know the advertising obviously that, that comes through YouTube, which is very unique to being a YouTube creator, um, you're even you mentioned this in a couple other interviews, you're also fielding you know brand deals that are straight into your inbox. Can you talk a bit about how you think about working with brands and, and operating your business as a creator? Because um, obviously one of those octopus arms for you is is uh not just creating the videos but actually selling um brand integrations
1: 100 so at a pretty core level like brands are reaching out to creators because they can more specifically target you know an audience of a certain topic and so every time i get you know i do manage my inbox and i'm in charge of the brand deals that i take and most of that is about finding good partners to work with who really are like actually willing to embrace working with the creator, which to me means letting a creator be creative and actually, you know, deliver a message as best they can to the audience that they know better than anyone else. Um, but the other half of that job is saying no to almost everything, saying no to 99 point something percent of the things I'm offered because either they're not a great fit or they're not the best partner to work with. Um, it is it's kind of a balancing act. You juggle a lot of things there, but I think at the end of the day, I just I'm still trying to make things that people want to watch. So always mm-hmm. good to keep that in the back of the head.
0: By the way, we do, really appreciate you not saying no to us and coming doing this. If nothing else, so that we can, uh, you know, convince Samir's dad that Samir is a huge success.
1: <laughs> that's what I'm here yeah. for. Yeah. That's, that's what we all here that's for. All
0: here um, for. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's 30 minutes past the hour. Let me kind of quickly uh, reset, and then I have, like, a rapid-fire segment for Marquez. So uh, for everyone tuning in, this has been huge. Uh, th- thank you for all the tweets and DMs. I've, just, I've just seen the notifications fly by. Uh, this is a good time show that Arthi and I do every single night. We're doing it slightly earlier today because we have very special guests. We are joined today by Colin and Samir, uh, two amazing YouTubers, and uh, uh, especially Samir. Samir is really awesome. Samir is that. Uh, we have Brian Armstrong, uh, the co- founder and CEO of Coinbase, that we're going to spend a lot more time um, just after this. And then we have the one and only Marcus Brownlee, a.k.a. MKBHD, probably one of the most interesting YouTube creators and tech uh, commentators around. Okay, Marcus, um, Okay, we're going to do a fun little rapid fire segment. I'm going to ask you a few questions just you know, off the top of your head. Twenty thirty 30 seconds, you know, come with it. I warn you, these are not easy. Some people accuse me of being going easy on people on this show, so we don't wanna be easy on you. Are you ready? Oh boy,
1: all right, go for it.
0: All right, here we go. All right, uh, 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 your thoughts on Tesla and electric cars? Uh, love the product. All right, easy, love it. Uh, uh, virtual reality and VR over the next couple of years, or next few years.
1: Uh, really fun tech developing fast, but needs a killer app because most people know what it is, but don't know why they want it.
0: Okay. Uh, Xbox versus PlayStation.
1: Um, I'm a PlayStation person. I think it's, uh, it's beautifully ugly and that's what makes it great. (laughs) Uh,
0: Okay. Here's a really easy one. Um, iPhone versus Android.
1: Oh, well there's no, or I carry both except if you're on clubhouse, then it's, it's you gotta have an iPhone,
0: right? Yeah. Oh, Marcus, that's, a, that's a, he, that is a great diplomatic answer. I really appreciate this. Okay. Uh, one last one. Um, thoughts on the Apple uh, M1 and kind of this is the future of the M1 architecture and Apple uh, moving to ARM?
6: Oh,
1: I love the ner- beautifully nerdy question. Uh, super excited about them. Really specifically excited about when they make an Apple Silicon Mac Pro. I know they're working their way up to it because they've got the, the lowest end Macs right now. But the lowest end Macs with M1 chips are so good that there's almost no way the high end stuff isn't incredible. I hope they don't like somehow ruin that. It seems like they're on a great path.
0: They are. I mean, we had a few sh- previous show with like where we really got deep and then we really noted on the technology of it. Um, uh, one last one uh, camera technology. And we know we know spoke about red, you're really in the cutting edge. Uh, camera technology you're excited about? Uh, computational photography in larger sensors. Okay. Wow. Okay, I just love this. I think we can probably spend an episode on each one of this. Okay. Well, I, uh, Brian, I know you have one question about tech companies and content for Marcus, You want to go?
6: Yeah, sure. So probably a lot of people in the audience they work in tech or at tech startups. Maybe they've even started a company. But what do you think most companies should be doing on YouTube? You know, like um, we 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 put talks up of speakers who come in to Coinbase and things, but I we don't get the views that you do, and I don't I don't feel like we're doing it right. You know. Who should host it? What kind of content would be compelling? Like what, what tech companies or startups have really made YouTube work for them, do you think?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think when I notice a, a company like succeeding well on YouTube, it's usually because they have a good personality attached to it. Some of them have multiple personalities and that can succeed, but I found like when there's like one or two that are really good and then that can drive a viewer back that they're, they kind of get calibrated to um, that works really well. Now, obviously, if you're if you're a company doing videos on YouTube, you're trying to highlight how good your product is, and you're trying to deliver marketing messages and all that fun stuff. But I, I, think just having having a personality kind of like a human instead of just like a like a robot marketing machine, I think that appeals to at least having people tolerate something that they know is a marketing message.
0: Um, okay, Marcus. I have one question because this come up a lot. Uh, great question, Brian. It's actually a fantastic topic. We should probably dive dive into that, Marcus. Launching your own products? Uh, are we going to see it? Uh, I know you've been, you know, you had like a backpack collab. I saw you had like other stuff coming out. That will you ever see an MKBHD phone?
1: Mm, I can't say too much, but oh. I think oh. it makes sense, doesn't it? It no. makes sense. <laughs> you know the i the the thing I get asked so often is like, oh wow, you review a lot of these things. Why don't you make your own? And like, I'm a, I'm a creator, I make videos, I run a video studio, I can't like build a factory in my studio and make products. So it always has to involve some sort of collaboration. So the challenge for me is finding the best version of that collaboration to make something where I can actually have an impact. So we'll see how it goes.
0: Okay, well, that, 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 that does not intrigue me one bit at all. Uh, um, okay, all right. Um, switching gears just a little bit. Um, you know, Marcus, that was amazing. Um, what One of the things we wanted to do on this show is try and bring together people that you may not have heard together before. And uh, on this, you know, we're kind of really excited to have, like you've seen, uh, Marcus, but also Brian Armstrong, the founder and CEO of Coinbase, who is kind of gracious, gracious enough to come back and join us. Uh, first of all, I want to say something. Uh for everyone listening, um, this none of this is financial advice. Uh, you know, I was reminded because I also also marcus's Marcus' latest video on Dogecoin. I say like, I have to say this. Uh, this is not financial advice. Please don't take any financial advice from any of us on a clubhouse show. Just kind of want to put that out there uh and make all the lawyers happy. Um, I want to actually start off with uh Marcus first and then go to Brian. Marcus, I saw a video on Dogecoin. Just curious about your interest in crypto overall. And then you know, you're Brian here you know what you know if anything or about crypto that you want to actually ask him about
1: yeah I mean uh, crypto is obviously fascinating and has been sort of like lingering at top of mind for a while lately and I you know I made the video about dogecoin just because it, it has such a cultural moment right now and it was really interesting to me but um I'm curious if there's maybe I'll ask Brian like is there like some giant do you see like a 20 30 year future in crypto because when I do, I, I feel like it's sort of like this universal currency potential that it could have, but we're not sure if it. I'm curious with how you look at it.
6: Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, your Dogecoin video, I thought was great. I, I love you captured the essence of it, which is that it's not trying to be super serious or cool. And it's just it's just kind of fun. And so, um, frankly, I underestimated Dogecoin when it first came out. I was like, OK, that's a funny joke. But no one's gonna treat it seriously. And it turned out it's actually turned out to be a bigger deal. So you you caught on to that real quick. Um, yeah, so I mean, where could crypto go? I, look, I definitely see it being a 20, 30, 100 year thing. I think right now people are primarily jumping into crypto because they wanna invest a little bit of it. They maybe wanna see the value of it go up. Um, even now institutions like businesses, um, you know, big companies are starting to hold it on their balance sheet as like an inflation hedge they're all worried about. Um, there's so many dollars being printed and stimulus and, you know, quantitative easing and all these kinds of topics. So that's a new trend. And then central banks are starting to create digital currencies, um, China, the U.S., a bunch of countries are looking into it. There's these new kinds of, uh, applications coming out like, like DeFi and NFTs like, so the, what, where I think this is going is that we're seeing the creation of a new economy, which we call the crypto economy internally. And it's basically a compliment to the traditional economy, but it's more fair, it's more free, it's more global. Um, It's kind of democrat you know, access to it is democratized by anybody around the world, as long as they have a smartphone. And I think people are going to be like earning a living in the crypto economy, they're going to be borrowing and lending, investing, obviously, and using these new kinds of um, apps, like there might even be social media apps that get built in these new decentralized um, systems that are kind of like re-decentralizing the web. So I think it's, you know, this is kind of a maybe a lofty statement, but I think it's um, it's the future of the economy. I think it's the it's the future of the web, be decentralizing it. Um, crypto has a long, long way to go, and I think it'll eventually. The crypto economy could be a sizable
0: portion of GDP. So it's kind of cool. Um, okay, so you know, I was thinking of questions to ask both of you together. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, Brian in his role as, you know, um, you know uh, just given his role in the crypto community with Coinbase and Marcus is kind of like the person who kind of represents the, the zeitgeist with consumer tech. For both of you, you know, do you think crypto has broken through to mainstream um, consumer awareness? And if not, what do you think it needs to, you know, get really get there? Uh, I mean, Marcus, I'm curious to get your take uh, and then Brian or other way around. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny when I whenever I see new tech, I always feel like I, I want to have a, a finger on the pulse of like the real world litmus test. Like, is there real awareness about this product? Because the funny thing is, I, you know, I upload a video and there's lots of people talking tech, but there are very few pieces of the tech world that bleed over outside of like, you know, I'll go to practice one day at night and a teammate asks me, like, did you see what this new folding phone is doing? And I'm like, wow, that's actually it, it's, it's gotten outside the tech world. So I feel like crypto is definitely one of those things that's gotten outside the tech world. There's a lot of people aware of it. I think maybe a more interesting question is like, what is the next step beyond awareness? Is it legitimacy? Is it is it people feeling safe using it? Is What is the next
6: thing after awareness? Yeah, um, I agree. I think that, that first thing that's getting people in the door is investing. But To me that's not the reason why i got into crypto it's i'm hoping for there to be more economic freedom in the world and all kinds of things people can do with it i think majority people won't actually come into crypto until there's something they really want to do with it um, that's not related to investing because frankly you know like half the world doesn't have disposable income to invest in kind of risky new things that's not like a really mass market use case so how do we get a billion people you know one other analogy i always think about is kind of compare crypto to the internet right so When the internet first started it was super slow clunky dial up modems even before the web browser got invented people had you know ip addresses you had to like use the command line it it was super difficult and so crypto needs to go through a lot of those same transitions just like the internet went from dial up to broadband crypto needs to get way more scalable Um, that's going to drive a lot of usage because today the transaction fees are pretty high there's also the internet had to add privacy, like H, remember HTTPS in the browser, like with that little lock icon, that was not around at the beginning of the internet and nobody wanted to use it for commerce and put their credit card in and stuff. So privacy had to get invented on the internet. Um, you know, just, just the general usability of crypto. Like today, if you send crypto, you're sending it to an address that looks like a random string of characters. That's kind of like an IP address or a, it's, it's a machine readable thing, like an IP address or a Bitcoin address. But I wanna be able to type in, youtube.com and not like a, a human readable name. And in crypto, we need to get to that same place where you can type, you know, marquez.coin, send it to there, not to some random string of characters. So those are the kind of under underlying
0: technologies that'll help uh, crypto get to the next stage, I think. Um, yeah, you know, in, in, uh, by the way, one of the, I'm curious in terms of, uh, and Marquez, I'm kind of curious because I loved your Dogecoin video. Uh, uh, and also, it reminded me that I have to kind of put up a legal disclaimer when I start this segment, so thank you for I always kind of love the little, little cutaway that you do when you do those legal disclaimers. Um, uh, I'm curious in terms of like we on the, on the consumer theme, uh, have you been following stuff like NFT or DeFi? Or I'm kind of curious about like where do you see in terms of crypto getting useful first?
1: I haven't, but it's that is always interesting because you know for as much as we pay attention to crypto, most people are looking at it as like, can we get invested and can we make money from getting into crypto? I I think the next step for me would be like, okay, can we spend Bitcoin? Can we spend our cryptocurrencies? And is it actually useful to own? Like, can this currency be useful beyond just an investment? Um, So I haven't spent too much time in the specifics. I'm sure Brian, you spent a lot more. Um, So I'd be curious what your thoughts are. But to me, it's just a general like, can can it be useful?
6: Yeah, uh, not too much to add, I, I feel the same. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs>
0: um, okay, so so uh, Marcus, I wanna kind of get back to, you know, like some of the questions that we've been, uh, uh, you know, getting over Twitter. Uh, by the way, I have to say, this room has been blowing up uh, and there's is such huge interest on both, you know, just each of you uh, individually, but also, uh, uh, you know, just kind of like bringing uh, folks, uh, you folks uh, together. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of, Marcus, I'm kind of curious, like, right? you know, you made this point about people uh, connecting to somebody on camera, but I think you've spoken about this multiple multipliers sort or of videos, which is like, you actually have a, kind of an operational team behind you. I'm kind of curious to hear, uh, hear more about just the operations of MKBHD Inc., just kind of the structure of the team, how you hire, how that is scaled, and how you kind of see that going forward. Because I don't think... A lot of people actually realize it's just not you with a lot of fancy hardware in a really nice room, just shooting it and doing it all by yourself.
3: Yeah. And and I think to add to that, uh, one thing I wanted to add to that is like Waveform, your podcast. Like, do you, you know, have uh, how do you see them as like complete like different organizations? Like, do you treat them as two different like individual entities or is it like one team? Like, how do you work with, uh, you know, having a, both a podcast and a really active you know, YouTube set of channels and content there?
1: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, 100%, there's definitely a a great team behind the production of what uh, MKBHD videos are. And I think it's necessary because of the, the goal, which is more better. I think it's usually those two things are inversely proportional. When you go more, you usually don't go better. When you go better, you usually don't go more. So you need help. Um, so I've, I've been really lucky to, to slowly build a really great team around me. A lot of that is in the, the camera work, the cinematography, the production, the motion graphics. Um, and the team continues to to slowly build this year, which is super exciting. Uh, and then on the podcast, I think of the podcast is kind of like another outlet for like a different stream of consciousness type of, of content. Because the videos have always been so, so structured and polished. Um, and there's different versions of like ways to run a channel on YouTube and we have plans for more channels, but the podcast came up cause we were always like, we have all these random conversations. Like we're, we're having conversations right now about tech. And I feel like a lot of them are really valuable, interesting conversations that people might want to add to why don't we record them, put them on the internet. Podcasting is a format that's been around forever, sort of fit naturally into that. So like a lot of those random hot takes where I turn around at my desk and I'm like, does anyone think anyone really cares about Tesla's panel gaps? And then there's like an hour long conversation in the studio about it. Then, uh, yeah, that turns into an episode on podcast and people can, can chime in. It's great. So uh, by that, know. I think
0: something I want to get to your take on this too, because I think yeah. one of the things I loved in your recent video is how you folks have actually, you know, been doing more podcasts as a way to like generate yeah. amazing content for the channel. So I think there's kind of a kind of connective cool tissue there for I've kind of hear your thoughts here too.
2: Yeah, I, I, so just as a reference, what we were talking about was, you know, when you record, like we recorded today, Marquez, like a long form podcast, like obviously that then can become atomized into different types of of content that can be cut for um you know youtube and clips it can be released as a long form audio long form video and then uh, what we do with with a lot of the recordings that we have is then we'll convert them into like a video essay where we're hosting in and around it so we try and take one hour long recording session and turn it into as many pieces of content um as we can but i, I also wanted to add um speaking of like I- increasing content output we got a question on twitter from daniel ebelman uh he asked if you'd ever consider making a second channel for behind-the-scenes vlogs um, and generally more kind of relaxed video. Uh, just curious if you'd be open to showing more of yourself as a, as a person as well as what the behind-the-scenes is at MKBHD HQ. So curious if, uh, if that's in the works and something that we're going to get a look at.
1: Yeah, that's been an interesting thought. So I don't think I'll ever vlog uh, just because the behind-the-scenes. I don't know if it's like precious to me or whatever, but I just really, really value having time that is not uh, <laughs> specifically dedicated to being on camera. Um, much respect to vloggers, I think that's really hard. But uh, yeah, I do think it makes a lot of sense to have, maybe it's like behind the scenes type stuff, um, but even more specifically, maybe just just stuff around the studio that's a little more casual. Um, that is definitely that is definitely something we're, we're thinking a lot about. Um, And also to the point of like getting a lot of different pieces of content out of like a podcast or something like that. Like that formula is so great (laughs) and it works really well. Like you guys have done it well for a bunch of episodes and you see a lot of podcasts that do it really well. So that's literally something we're working on launching this year. Trying to do it a little bit better and a little different because it wouldn't be an MKBHD launch if we didn't. But we're trying to do a a waveform podcast video channel and clips channel
2: and all that fun stuff. And that's something that we saw, um, you know, Dobrik recently released his Views channel um, with his first full-length episode on YouTube this week, and we talked about Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast Burger, and so I'm just kind of tying into what those two guys are doing um, in the creator economy. Just curious if there's certain creators that you look at right now and are kind of inspired to push the limit and push the boundary of, of, um, you know, what you can do with MKBHD.
1: Yeah, for sure. So those are two really good examples. I feel like in the beginning a lot of my inspiration was in production because I was I was still learning how to make videos. So a lot of it was like, look how great these videos are. Look at the look at the production, look at the camera shots that I found a lot of inspiration in that. And I think now a lot of that has turned to the business behind it because that's that's again something that I'm relatively young at, which is building the business and scaling it. And, and opening new doors for it. So that's been like the Mr. Beasts and the David Dobrik's of the world where you kind of admire what they're able to do working with companies and what they're able to unlock and enable as far as content. Um, yeah, major props to both of them. I'm trying to think of another example that's not already mentioned. I'm going to go, let me think off the top. Of my, I almost want to open YouTube here. I'm going to open YouTube right now and look and see who's in my sub box set. I love
0: it. Right you doing it live.
1: Linus Tech Tips, Philip DeFranco. Huge shout out to those two.
2: I think Phil's in the audience. So yeah, I just I want to give a shout, out to, to DeFranco, like a shout out to Phil DeFranco because he's like a big inspiration for us uh, yeah. as well. But Colin, I know you had a question um, that you wanted to follow up here with Marquez.
5: Yeah, I was just curious. I think as we talk about the Phil DeFrancos of the world, the Mr. Beast, the David Dobricks, like these are top level creators that have businesses built around them. And it's this it's different. You have a different set of problems than if you're a small creator. You now are dealing with management and HR and uh, hiring and all these different things. I'm curious. This is a question we asked uh, Mr. Beast, but what's your biggest pain point as you turn from creator into full-time, uh, have this huge business around you?
1: Yeah, I think uh, that biggest point pain point has like shifted over the years, actually. So early in, in the, the production world, it was just like, it takes me so long to make a video. (laughs) It takes me so many hours to put together a video. I got better and better at that. And then now that we have help with making videos, I find the biggest pain point is actually the writing and research and the pre-production. And I'm gonna go ahead and look into my crystal ball here and say that if we solve this pain point, the next biggest pain point is going to be like sort of in the HR world of training and like successfully transferring my creative vision to growing members of the team, like trying to figure out, cause essentially my job has changed. Like now, am I a writer today? Is that my job? Am I a pro writer? I don't know, but now I'm gonna have to be a pro <laughs> teacher, uh, a little bit of a mm-hmm. ambassador for a small brand. It's, it's, it changes. It definitely um, changes.
0: I think, you know, I'm actually on the topic, I'm curious to get Brian's take because Brian, you know, Dave, when you came, came on the show, Dave, for yesterday, you spoke about your story of Coinbase and with Y Combinator and all of that. How much has your job you know, changed? Um, you know, because one of the things I've always been curious about is like how a CEO job changes at every stage of the company. How much has your job changed at like every stage? And how do you see that evolving?
6: Oh, yeah, it's, it's changed so much. So, I mean, I was the first person at Coinbase and I was just kind of writing code in nights and weekends, you know, trying to put together a product, and it was just the only person. And then we had a couple people, we did all the customer support ourselves, you know. Anyway, it went through many, many layers. We now have 1500 plus employees. And I feel like my job is kind of, um, I'm setting things like strategy and culture and doing hiring board members and almost just being an external statesman at times, um, just meeting with people who might long-term wanna partner with us in some way, right? So yeah, the, the job went through so many different evolutions. And I, I feel like that was actually kind of part of the fun of starting a company. It was like, there's always something new to learn, right? I would, you kind of have to be a mile wide inch deep to fill in the gaps whenever you don't have somebody on the team, which you never you never have, especially in the early days, all the people you need. So one day I was trying to figure out how to read a financial statement. And the next day, I was trying to learn how to you know recruit board members or something. so it it's always changing.
0: Um okay, so I have a little bit of a, a I guess like a spicy question for uh, both of you, and I think, Marcus, I want to start with you. Um, you know, look, I've, I've spent my entire career in the tech industry, and one of the things which you know, um, I would say, you know, always saddens or frustrates me is in some ways, I think the tech industry, uh, which I grew up in and which I love deeply and have a lot of nostalgia around um, over the last few years, I think there's been like some strong questions where, uh, you know, um, it, it, I would, in some ways I would say large parts of it become unpopular. And one of the reasons I love your content is how uh, it kind of use another famous gadget review phrase unapologetically enthusiastic it is about technology in general even if it's not about sometimes the particular products you love uh, you know some like fake plastic so I'm just curious about like you know you have a lot of people in the audience here who are technology leaders uh, you know CEOs here um, what would you tell them about um, helping them recapture love from their customers their fans their users where they make it hardware and software because I think you have an enthusiasm you channel that somehow in a way which i'm not sure every company is able to manage
1: yeah so you mean like if someone's lost that like connection to their audience
0: basically Uh, pretty much right because i think you know like for example when we think about like uh, as kids playing with nintendo there's kind of nostalgia and fondness and it's not you know um, a fear or you know like is this company too powerful it's all very legitimate questions but i think there's something about the joy and enthusiasm that you bring, which uh, I'm not sure like a lot of companies are able to capture.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I Obviously I'm not a pro at like making products and and running product companies, but what I've found is what tends to solve everything is a great product. Uh, And no matter how weird things might get around other products or other things in the ecosystem or the connection to the audience, a great product tends to solve a lot of that. And that's what I found like with like, you know, a a product like a company will have like a really bad year, uh, like a smartphone year. They'll have a bunch of phones that flop, they'll have a bunch of things that don't really get any traction, their market share drops, they're not having a good time, they don't have a great reputation. The next year they make something that's just overall good. And for whatever reason, that's all it really takes for everyone to go, oh, they're back on the map, like, their their product is an option again and they seem to really care and if if the product is good that's that's been the most consistent factor to me as far as connecting with an audience and and things going up from there
0: um brian i'm curious to get your take uh, thanks mark uh, brian um you obviously you know um you run a very well-known consumer company i'm curious to get your take on the same topic
6: yeah i mean i would agree i think the product is kind of it's, it's everything, like if you don't have a good product, nothing else matters, um, like, I don't know. So it depends, especially in tech, right? Like there's some products where, if you think about soft drinks, like consumer packaged goods, makeup, you know, uh, it feels like people are launching new stuff all the time and it's maybe like, it's kind of a commodity, like the ingredients might be very similar or actually produced out of the exact same manufacturing plant as the other products, but it's like 90% marketing attached to those products. I've never really been very good at marketing, so I, you know, I tried to make a product that was unique and differentiated just on the features, or the ease of use, or the trust behind it. And I also think that's kind of like the best form of marketing when people just tell their friends, like, hey, go go install this thing, go add it." Um, you know, it's they trust their friends more than they trust some ad they saw that's like telling them about it. So. Um, yeah, I think being a product-driven company is kind of the way to go. I it's at least, it's, at least it worked for me. I, I think I, I wouldn't be, be good at it
2: doing it another way. So I, I have a question here. I, I mean, especially considering we have the opportunity uh, to to talk to you, Brian. Uh, but I was I was on Instagram today, and I was I was uh, scrolling around, and I came across Logan Paul announcing that uh, he has these like NFTs that are available. And to be honest, I just want to like take a step back and try and get an understanding of. What are NFTs? How do they interact with, you know, the creators uh, online, social creators and, and the creator economy? And, um, you know, as we talk about this, Marquez, I'm curious if you've considered this or what, what, what does this all mean for the creator economy?
6: Yeah, so I guess I'll start. So, you know, NFTs stands for non-fungible token. And this is uh, what that means is it's a unique digital item, like a provably unique digital item. And that's kind of uh something that's novel because previously digital items like photos and stuff you could just make infinite copies of them and there was no way to sort of say this is a scarce or unique one um so cryptocurrency allowed this to be created and what are people using this for well people started making um art you know kind of like limited edition art they started trading around uh domain names that was kind of nfts um you know inside of games people have digital goods they want to have like a you know provable unique good inside the game. And in the future, people have always written in sci-fi about the metaverse, right? And in the metaverse, you might want to have real estate or a spaceship or clothing or whatever. And so um, this has kind of been, NFTs are sort of having a moment right now in crypto. And the way that this ties into creators is that, you know, creators can now issue digital items, whether that's like, it could be a song in theory, it could be uh, kind of like merch that is like a limited edition thing and their fans can kind of have a direct relationship with them to to own those to buy them um what's kind of cool about it is that a lot of creators i mean market Marcus, you might know about this better much better than i do but um a lot of the deals that uh creators do like to earn money like they they either have to go through advertising if you're if you're you're a musician on spotify or whatever they always feel like they're kind of getting pennies on the dollar and so the potential for nfts is exciting here in that maybe artists can have more direct connections to their fans and monetize much more effectively. Um, and that's what everyone's starting to think about with NFTs and crypto.
2: Yeah. That's super interesting. Marquez, have you, have you thought about it at all about, you know, creating unique MKBHD art that, that, you know, that, that falls into this NFT bucket?
1: Yeah. I was just about to say, I, so I have not thought about this at all. And so seeing it come up, is really interesting and like hearing about it. Um, I I guess I could just speak about how I think about things that I don't know about because I think we see a lot of new versions of like ways for creators to branch out and they make a lot of sense. And this one to me makes a lot of sense. So for me, I would just want to find a way to actually do it. Well, like I'm not an artist, (laughs) so I would I would want to find a way to make some incredible art or to have some make something really cool that makes sense in this world, not just doing it just to do it because it makes sense um but i do think it makes sense so i'm not actually shocked to see it being done it's
3: pretty cool mm-hmm.
0: by the way, Marcus, if you need somebody to help you with crypto we might know a guy and he's, his icon is right next to you on this clubhouse um yeah no, noted <laughs> um okay so I, I know we're uh almost out of time um um and um, um uh, you know like before we wrap up you know, like you know marcus i want to ask you one last thing uh, for a lot of people here you know you obviously have a wide span of hardware and we love you know you know, the iPhones and the Teslas. Is there any piece of technology that people here may not be aware of that you feel like, hey, you should, you may not have heard of this, but you should definitely, you know, either go check out this gadget or check out this piece of technology that we may not may probably be aware of?
1: Oh man, I wish I had a good answer right off the top of my head for this one. It would be, there's so much good stuff i guess i sort of assume everyone's already heard about it but you know the the m1 laptops of the world like it's it's made by apple it's the biggest company in the world you've probably heard about it already like a lot of the best stuff that's out there kind of already has the spotlight on it um so a lot of times it's like the super niche stuff like the the smartphone like accessories or like random tripods or like the The things that are made for like a super specific purpose that can really add value for certain people. They might seem crazy or dumb to other people, but uh, yeah, I don't have any specific examples, but I'll throw out the SwitchPod as one. Like I've I've used the Joby Gorillapods forever, and the SwitchPod was, if you haven't heard of it, it's like this this rigid metal, uh, swip out like swiveling tripod type thing. You can put a small camera or phone on. Super useful. Most people won't care about it. But for people who've used GorillaPods, the SwitchPod is like the next best thing ever. So
2: I just want to yeah. vouch for it. Colin and I use the SwitchPod as
0: well. So we're, we're totally go. on board, Marquez. Same yeah. here, same here. I, I love this. Okay, I love it. Um, okay, and Brian, one last question for you. And I want to kind of get back to the topic which you're just talking, which is uh, you run a very well-known consumer company. And we had many conversations about uh, what do tech companies do to recapture people's love? Would love to get your thoughts.
6: Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting for for people like me, uh, technology is just, it's so cool. Like if you think about how, what is our best lever to try to improve the world, improve the human experience, um, you know, whether it's medicine or entertainment or education or financial services or whatever, like technology, I think is the best area to improve the world in any of those, in any of those uh, industries around the world. And so I get a little frustrated sometimes because I feel like there's there's a bit of tech bashing happening out there right and people get disillusioned or even in hollywood a lot of the movies that get made right are kind of of the terminator variety or black mirror or whatever they're all kind of dystopian about the future but the the opposite is kind of true like um a lot of the best inventions even like penicillin or whatever these are all tech these are all technologies investments in stem and, and science right so i kind of feel like we as creators have this opportunity to go create a new generation of content and media out there that is tech positive um, i would love to encourage people to more people to go learn stem and like um try creating companies and it's okay like if 90 percent of them whatever don't work you know it's a, it's a high risk thing but if we we try a thousand ideas that's how we get societies to drive forward with innovation and technology. That's how we get economic growth. By the way, economic growth is like the root of all of it is coming from innovation and science and technology. And so that's how you get like a bigger pie and everyone's quality of life is going up. So um, I just, I wish we lived in a world of like technological progressivism that was optimistic about the future. And I think, you know, Mark your channel is doing that in some ways it's getting people excited about that. Um, I hope that uh, a lot of the companies, the people that are starting here, are probably listening in, are, are doing that too, and I think that's how we'll create a better world. So just wanted to give that plug.
0: Wow, okay, uh, I can't beat that. Uh, I think that's an amazing note. And Brian, thank you. I mean in some ways, that's kind of been what uh, I, I, I think that's exactly what Marcus' uh, you know um, last over decade of work captures in some tiny way, we've been trying to do that with our own little uh, clubhouse show here. Uh, it's time to create, and you know, as one of our uh, usual co-hosts would say, it's time to build. I'm um, okay. We're out of time. Um, I want to quickly wrap up. Uh, oh, first off, you know, thank you to everybody who tuned in. It's kind of a huge show. All the tweets and DMs. Um, we kind of almost at max capacity throughout. I see a lot of very well-known, famous names here in the audience. So, uh, th- really appreciate all of you uh, uh, listening as always. Um, um, you know, we will be off for a couple of days, but we work on a surprise guest and a surprise time over the weekend. So, uh, if you're not already, just text us as four one five. Three two two seven eight zero zero. The number is on my profile or on the Twitter account and we'll keep you updated when there's a new show or follow us on Twitter. Um, and then I want to thank everybody. Uh, you know, first of all, my co-host, Arty, uh Gary, as usual, for just being amazing. Uh, Colin and Samir for just being the nicest people on YouTube. Uh, go follow their channel, uh, Colin and Samir. They put out amazing content about the creator economy and YouTube, and just amazing human beings. And Samir's dad, uh, Samir is amazing and awesome. And you know, just make sure you tell all of your relatives also that because that's also like quite the thing. So, Colin and Samir, thank you so much for being today uh, here with us today. Brian, again, thank you so much. Uh, love having you on the show. Last but not least, uh, Marcus such a delight uh we loved it uh, everyone on twitter loved it thank you for doing what you do uh, folks go subscribe to uh, mkbhd and maybe you'll get to buy his rumored upcoming mkbhd phone i'm kidding i'm kidding maybe only partially kidding. <laughs> i don't know i don't know that i'm kidding but thank you so much okay i um, marcus i know you're a listener we usually try and pick a theme song that fits the guest so uh for you uh, to play us out i want to capture something which captures the joy and spirit of technology that you have Um, So Marcus, thank you. Uh, Gary, can you play us out to the team from Mario? All right. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, everyone. This is awesome. Thanks, Gary. All right, good night, everyone. We're going to take a break tomorrow. We'll see you over the weekend. Thank you. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
4: Be well, everyone.